your kids' toys are spying on you. I'm not kidding. Wait till you hear this story. Swearing on the Bible, or maybe not. Short people, this guy, among others, and singing dogs. We will have all that coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. <sighs> Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. We still don't have a Speaker of the House in the United States, but that's okay because hopefully it won't be McCarthy. Jim Jordan would be a brilliant choice, and uh, he says he doesn't want it, but uh, maybe that's exactly why he ought to be. We are live across four different platforms. Our main channel, of course, our good friends at rumble.com slash Sheldon or The Jay Sheldon Show. Check us out over there. YouTube and twitch.tv and, of course, also Facebook for now. We're on Facebook, but they're still ticking me off. So we'll see how long we last over there until I decide, screw it, I'm out of there. I'll still have the channel. I'll still have my personal profile, which is always open. I leave the back end open for comments and uh, things. Everything I do is uh, public. I don't do any private posts over there. So feel free if you want. Just check it out. It's uh, Just look for me on Facebook. Or... Also, I'm on uh, Twitter, by the way. You won't like me on Twitter if you're not conservative. <laughs> but, yeah, it's at it's Jay Sheldon, I-T-S-J, because Jay Sheldon was already taken by another Jay Sheldon, sadly. But it's at it's Jay Sheldon on Twitter. If you want to follow me over there, please do. All right. So we got all that and more coming up tonight. I, by the way, my mouse died. I, I don't know. I bought this cheap wired mouse and it just died. So I went back to using my, my wireless and it scares me because I just charged it. So it should be fine. But if this battery dies, I'm going to be using a mouse pad to run the show. Then you want to see some fun. Oh, that will not be good when Techno J has to figure his way around using a mouse pad. All right, enough of this crap. Let's get on with our Miko update, huh? Oh, yeah. Miko update. The queen of Chateau Sheldon. And why, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or iTunes or whatever, uh, and if, if you do, by the way, please subscribe. Hit the subscribe or follow button. Anyway, if you're watching on the video live, you will see that I have a picture of some strange-looking yellow fruit for a Miko update. I know. If you live in Southeast Asia, you probably know what this is already. It is what we call durian. D-U-R-I-A-N. You can look it up. It comes in a big spiky fruit and you cut inside and you get these things. There's usually, I don't know what, two, three, four of them inside, maybe more if you get lucky. Well, there's different levels. There's like Kampong, which is like, you know, small village durian. All the way, there's a new variety called XO, which apparently tastes a bit alcoholic. It's not alcoholic, but it tastes kind of like that. And there is the top of the, the variety, which is called Musan King. And that's what this is. I got some Musan King. You really do uh, tell the difference. With Musan King, it is amazing. And uh, what does all this have to do with Miko? I'll show you. Here you go. 
take a listen and a look at this. Okay, just to prove to you that Miko is a real Malaysian Shiba Inu. I got a present for you. There she is. Look what I got. Now, last time she loved durian. What she that? ate it, gobbled it right up. This time? What? <laughs> it's Musan King, buddy. You want to try some? She Would that be a no? Could not be less interesting. Hmm? She took to scratching. <laughs> but it's Musan King. It's very good. So I thought maybe if I break off you a, want little a little piece, piece, maybe it's too overpowered. Just a little bit? No. Still nothing. You used to like this. <laughs> that's my ego that's voice, by the huh? Oh, well. You sure? <laughs> Last chance. Little bit? No. Not doing it. <laughs> now, the thing is about durian, by the way, is it smells. It has a very, very powerful smell. It overwhelms everything. Hotels, a lot of restaurants here, do, they have signs up that say no durian because it will smell up the whole floor of a hotel. Uh, I don't mind it, and I love durian. Most Caucasian people don't really care for it because it's a very particular acquired taste. I love it. <clears throat> and this Musan King is amazing. But she was having none of it, even though last time we had it, she loved it this time. I can't imagine if it's that powerful a smell to us, dogs whose sense of smell is like, what, a hundred times more than ours? That must be so pervasive in there. I hope she doesn't mind it because it's... <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's uh, the Durian Musan King Miko story. She was not very pleased. We tried again tonight. By the way, if you... I don't, if you're local, I'm sure you know this. It's like a no-brainer. But if you freeze the durian, it doesn't completely freeze solid. It gets like ice cream. Oh, we stuck ours in the freezer. I had some today. It was absolutely delicious. And Miko still didn't want it. Our update for Miko is brought to you by BarkBox.com. Slash Miko is our link. You get a special deal if you go there through that link. It's in our show notes tonight. And uh, you can check out, it's a monthly subscription service. You sign up for one month if you want, just one, or six or 12 months. And if you use our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, you will get an extra month free. That's a $35 value in USD. They currently deliver to the U.S., U.S. territories in Canada. Uh, you can use a forward shipping service, or maybe you got a friend in the States who can forward it to you if you're not in the U.S. But uh, do check them out. They've got a great deal for you. They've got monthly themes every month, a new theme. And every month you will get a new box of treats and toys for your fluffy fur friend delivered right to your door. Great customer satisfaction. If there ever is any reason you're not happy with something, you get a hold of them. They will make it right no matter what. You get a couple of toys, a couple of bags of treats, and a dog chew every month sized just for your dog. You can pick when you order, small, medium, or large dog. And they will send you <clears throat> according to what you specify. And uh, all their natural ingredients, if you have any allergies, your dog has any allergies, uh, you can also check that, let them know, and they'll make sure you don't get that. They really are an amazing company. It's great to work with them. And please do check them out. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the site. 
and you can uh, check them out, get our special deal over there at BarkBox. Alrighty. Short people swearing on the Bible. And our first story should scare you. You know, we do a lot on this show about government interference, the government spying on you, government uh, doing everything they can to collect your data for what they, they just, they want you on a list. At the end of the day, all they want is your name and your data on a list. Don't give it to them. Well, this is from justthenews.com. The link is in our show notes, and this is just as about as scary as it can be. Data-grabbing toys is exposing American children to hidden dangers. You think about this. Never mind the video. Let's just dump that. Okay. You think about this. This past Christmas, Americans spent an average of $330 each on gifts for every child. And many of those gifts, obviously these days, are tech-oriented. So-called eyes and ears. They've got sensors. They have a built-in camera. They can hear. Think, you know, like, like Alexa or Google, whatever that version is. Uh, anyway, a lot of these high-tech toys nowadays have devices that are connected to the Internet, that have microphones, that have cameras. There's a new report that's been published by a group called Parents Together. It's a nonprofit. It covers all kinds of issues with kids, families, and it shows how many of those gifts that you bought for your kids, those high-tech gadgets, pose a danger. Yeah, the report is titled The Dangerous Tech Toys Report 2022. Four sections, products marketed specifically to preschoolers, elementary schoolers, teens, and one category that impacts kids of all ages. They argue that no device created for young people that connects to the internet can ever be made completely safe. And that's true, largely because tech companies don't design them that way. They're not designed with a kid's safety in mind. It ain't a safety-first situation. Uh, in the preschool category, there is zeroed in on eKids Paw Patrol walkie-talkies. Now, one of the potential dangers of these walkie-talkies, according to the report, is that young users may wind up communicating with people they don't know. And you can imagine where that might go. <laughs> the report states some children have been in direct communication with adult strangers on the walkie-talkies. They reference a mother who went to the police after a male stranger asked her daughter to be friends over these e-kids Paw Patrol walkie-talkies. Another parent allegedly found her child in direct communication with a truck driver. Now, it, it all may have been perfectly innocent, but it also all may have been perfectly horrible. Mm. Another device called the singing machine. It's a karaoke player for preschoolers. 
and it exposes kids, preschoolers, preschoolers. What are you talking? One, two, three, four, five, that kind of age. Some very real dangers. According to the report, it can connect to the machine via Bluetooth. Although a, a child can't communicate directly with others, a child predator could ask the child to come outside, according to the report. They can't speak back and forth, but someone can broadcast into the singing machine and say, hey, I've got some cookies and candy. Come on outside. We'll have a party. Hmm. I'm telling you. Elementary school children, Amazon Fire HD Kids Pro, designed for kids 3 to 7. Amazon collects and stores inordinate amounts of data on all users, including children, and that can then be used to target customers with more products. You know, it may not always be the most evil of intentions, but you don't want these crap advertisements popping up because you happen to look at something or click on something or mention something with an open microphone. According to an Amazon rundown on all things Alexa-related, due to its interactive voice interface, Alexa gives users a hands-free way to interact. Of course, I use them here in the house, but very cautiously. Uh, even young children can use their voice to perform everyday tasks like checking the news, listening to music, playing a game. Authors award third parties can use Alexa skills to collect, use, and sell, perhaps even to the government, a child's data and voice interactions. This goes on and on. In fact, they even mentioned Meta in here for the Quest VR headset, which is, you know, it's a, it's a headset. It puts you in the VR world. Uh, but there are a number of very awkward dangers, uh, according to the authors of this report, that have to do with this Quest VR headset and the meta world. Uh, they've reported, kids have reported the cases of bullying, stalking, and even sexual harassment of their avatars. Now, you're not seeing live people in this world. You're seeing an avatar, a fake, cartoony version of you. But these sickos are still doing this kind of crap out there. It goes on and on. There's all kinds of products listed here. Do check out the link. It's in our show notes. You want to read the whole article. And uh, it includes some, some very scary stuff. You really ought to check it out. And you especially ought to check it out if you have kids. I mean, whether or not you've got kids, it'd still be fascinating and interesting for you to check it out. But if you've got kids especially. All right. When, uh, because... Well, as soon as they select a speaker, there are a whole bunch of new Congress people that are going to be elected in the U.S., uh, sworn in in the U.S. Normally, used to be you put your hand on the Bible, you raise your right hand, you swear, you take an oath to support the Constitution, support and defend the Constitution, and you know, depending upon the office, it's you know, the president takes one particular one, and Congress people take another one. Well. Since the beginning of the whole woke crap generation, people who were not Christian decided they didn't want to put their hand on the Bible. Uh, maybe someone was Muslim and wanted to use the Quran, so they used a Quran to swear on. Well, makes sense. That's their book of their God, so why not if they're swearing to God? Some people do not want to use the word God. 
They swear and affirm, but not so help me God. Also perfectly fair if you are not uh, such a believer. Well, this has gone far enough. This story appeared on uh, theblaze.com. And what it tells me is this idiot just simply really isn't serious about their job. Their oath of office, which is a solemn and sacred oath. It is an oath when you raise, I've done it. I was in law enforcement. I raised my right hand and I swore an oath to defend the Constitution. A Democrat elected to Congress is going to be sworn in on a copy of Superman number one. The fact that it's worth about $5.3 million in USD, but this is the idiot himself here. Who is this? No, that's not him. Democrat elected U.S. Congress in 2020 be sworn in on various documents, a copy of the Superman comic book. Journalists spotted the classic comic among the many religious books, other documents which members had chosen to take their oaths. And uh, a member of the House of Representatives, there you go, a classic Superman comic book. There it is. It's a first edition. When they asked about the identity of the member, a congressional aide refused to say. The mystery solved when Robert Garcia, a Democrat from Long Beach, California, doesn't that just figure, tweeted he was the person to be sworn in on the comic book. Proudly, this is a quote from him, will be proudly sworn in to Congress on the U.S. Constitution, and underneath the Constitution will be three items that mean a lot to me personally. A photo of my parents, who I lost to COVID, a, my citizenship certificate, and an original Superman number one from the Library of Congress. <clears throat> There's the items there. Well, again, like I said, you just are not taking the whole idea behind taking and swearing and affirming an oath seriously. You're an idiot. He describes himself as a comic book nerd. I would describe you uh, as the same thing, but just leave out the word comic book. Nerd. Moron. I would hope, perhaps, that the people who put you into office won't do that and make that mistake again. Unbelievable. Next thing you know, they'll be blaming short people. Okay, that's just a really cheap way to try and do a segue. This is from Blaze Media also. It's funny as hell. <laughs> I'm short. I'm about five foot six. I don't know in CM. Here in Malaysia and Asia, we use cm centimeters but i'm five foot six i'm short for a caucasian guy in fact to this day 20 years living in malaysia over 20 years and i still get the comment you're pretty short for a white guy <laughs> but the fact is i am as far as americans go i'm fairly short well get a load of this headline you worried about the fake climate change? Have you drunk that Kool-Aid yet? Of course you have. Millions of people have. 
Here's a new one. Mating with short people is a step towards a greener planet. <laughs> These people are so stupid. Here's the thinking behind it. Smaller individuals are inherent conservationists. This according to a New York Times op-ed. A guest opinion column published Sunday, just a few days ago, says that mating with short people is a step towards a greener planet. Uh, what's this fool's name? Mara Altman, titled, There's Never Been a Better Time to Be Short, argued that people of shorter stature live longer and are better for the planet because we use fewer resources. See? Even Miko agrees. Ah, oh, these fools. What, what, you know, and people buy this crap. Uh, the short are also inherently conservationists, which is more crucial than ever in this world of eight billion. They references a study by Thomas Sar uh, Samaras, the godfather of shrink think. That should tell you something. Found that if a... <laughs> Oh, I cannot believe this. I'm not going to get through this. If Americans were 10% shorter, it would save 87 million tons of food per year, trillions of tons of water, and quadrillions of BTUs of energy and millions of tons of trash. Short people don't just save resources, but as resources become scarcer, they may also be best suited for long-term survival. If you want, and I don't know why you would, but if you want to read more about this, just check out the link. It's in our show notes. It'll take you right to the article by The Blaze. I don't believe there is a link to the column, but that's okay because the New York Times is, A, it's a paid site, and you don't want to be giving them any money because they're idiots. But why waste your money on some absolute crock of crap like this? However, I am kind of excited the idea that we short people, including this guy, might be doing our part to help with the fake climate change. I will never say climate change without putting the word fake in front or behind it, because that's simply what it is. Believe what you want. You do you. I'll do me. In my opinion, there's no such thing as, yes, there is climate change. The climate changes. It gets warmer. It gets cooler. The ice caps melt. The ice caps grow. And it's been happening for millions of years. And if you actually don't micromanage and look into a short little path of a few decades or a few centuries, if you stretch the graph out, you'll see it's almost an even line all the way across and there's no significant change. But that's not what people do because they want you afraid. <sighs> Here's another one. I got a ton of them tonight. <clears throat> Canada. You know what a dictatorship Trudeau is running up there. It just The more stories that come out of Canada, the more unbelievable it becomes. Canada has just fallen into absolute tyranny. Absolute tyranny. 
Well, get this. An Ontario regulatory body has ordered Dr. Jordan Peterson, very famous doctor, to undergo social media communications retraining. Not kidding. He's an author. He's a clinical psychologist. Dr. Jordan Peterson revealed the College of Psychologists of Ontario, which is, you know, like a medical association for uh, psychologists. They license practical practicing clinical psychologists. They have demanded this board that he undergoes social media communications retraining or face an in-person tribunal and the possible suspension of his license. They issued the demand because he retweeted the Conservative Party of Canada leader Pierre Polvier criticizing the Prime Minister, dictator Justin Trudeau, and his political allies. He criticized climate change models, objected to surgery on gender dysphoric minors, and warned Canadians it was wrong for social service workers and police to threaten the, uh, to apprehend the children of the trucker convoy protests. You know, that mess that happened there. Here's his tweet. So this board, regulatory board, has demanded that he take a social media communications retraining so he can get into the mindset of right-think. You see? Canada. You saw the law that just went into effect in California, right? Where a doctor is not allowed to give you truthful, scientific, factual information about vaccines and COVID. It's a law now in California. You can lose your license for being truthful, for talking about science. This is where we've come. Is it where you want to be? Unbelievable. It gets more and more interesting. It gets interestinger and interestinger. I got a ton of these tonight. America has become the greatest exporter of destructive ideas. Hmm. It's an article from the Daily Signal. The link is in our show notes. <laughs> a great image that goes along with the article. At the moment, right now, China is probably the greatest threat to the stability of the world. Russia, probably the world's premier aggressor nation. And for the most part, Miko chiming in again, for the most part, Islamic groups some groups, are the primary exporters of terror and religious totalitarianism. And for the first time in history, America has been called the world's major exporter of destructive ideas. The author says, this is hard for me to write. One of my books is titled Still the Best Hope, Why the World Needs American Values to Triumph. And uh, it contrasts American values with leftist values, makes the case that Americans' value system, one of the finest, if not the finest, ever devised. American values, or the American trinity, liberty, in God we trust, and e pluribus unum, 
Latin for from many, one. The three mottos found on American coins and banknotes. But those values are the reason Americans have been the freest people in the world. And America has been far and away the greatest land of opportunity in human history, really. But they have gradually been abandoning, and you see this, you see it in the news every single freaking day. They've been abandoning this value system. And as it's being abandoned by many of you, hopefully not my audience, but, you know, it becomes less free, it becomes less prosperous, and it becomes more corrupt. And you have seen that and the growth of all of those three things. In fact, at this moment, the writer says, America is no longer the best country, the exceptional country it has been since 1776. There may not yet be a better country, but that is cold comfort. You really, if you read nothing else in my show notes tonight, please read this article. Share it out. Share it with your friends. The link is in our show notes. You'll see in today's show, and then you go down, scroll down through the show notes. That's the description. And please do share this article. He speaks the truth, and it's scary. The more we abandon our value system, in, in the, I'm talking about in the U.S. I know I don't live there anymore. I haven't lived there in over 20 years. But I still have this huge spot in my heart for that country. And I truly believe it is one of, if not the best, as far as freedoms go on earth. But as you lose and give up and acquiesce your values to these morons, the freedom that you lose, the prosperity that you lose, it can come back. I really believe it can come back, and I really believe that it will in my heart of hearts. But we're not there yet, and we got a long way to go. All right, just a couple more quick ones before we get to our book tonight. <laughs> you know anything to do with space, and it's right on my, my radar. The James Webb Space Telescope has been such a boon for me. I'm just, every day I'm floored by the images they share. Well, now check this out. Articles in our show notes. An object found in the sky that is unlike anything astronomers have ever seen. And here's the weird part. It is sending radio signals to Earth that repeat exactly every 18.18 minutes. Like clockwork. Not kidding. This is Freaky. Australian astronomer, a weird spinning object in the Milky Way, has been identified that is unlike anything they have ever seen. It was first discovered by a university student working on his undergraduate thesis. It emits a massive burst of radio signals three times an hour, every 18.18 seconds, like clockwork. According to astrophysicist Natasha Hurley-Walker, she headed the inquiry after the student was discovered 
using the Mershan Wide Field Array Telescope in the Western Australia outback. Other things in the universe, like pulsars, they flicker on and off. Man, she's going nuts tonight, isn't she? Maybe she's seeing a UFO. They claim the frequency of the 18.18 minutes had never been detected previously. Discovering the object was kind of spooky for the astronomer. Uh, She added, because there's nothing known in the sky that does that. Of all the billions and billions of objects that we've been looking at, this is the first time one has done something like this. This is weird. That's like the wow signal, if you know what that is, if you follow this kind of stuff. They're trying to figure out right now what they've discovered. They were able to establish a few facts sorting through years of data. It's around, that's not so far, it's around 4,000 light years away from Earth. So that, universe-wise, that ain't so far. Um, Extraordinarily bright, has a very strong magnetic field, but there are still a lot of puzzles to solve. I was concerned it was aliens, she admitted, when asked if the powerful steady radio signal from space could have been sent by another life form. This is amazing. I need to follow this story. Every 18.18 minutes, this thing sends out this giant burst of radio signals. And you think we're alone? I don't think so. This is the coolest. I love stuff like this. You will always... It's not the main topic of our day, but you will always find these kind of stories on this show because I can't get enough. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. And one last one before we get on with our book here tonight. We're doing White Fang. Uh, We ended at an amazing little bit of uh, cliffhanger in our last show. We always end with good news, and this is a brilliant piece of news. Check this out. An extinct New Guinea singing dog is not extinct. It's been found again. Thanks to genetics, the New Guinea singing dog's genome may have something to teach us about how you and I began to talk. There is a picture, and you know, it has a very Shiba Inu look to it. This is the New Guinea singing dog. I'll let you hear it coming up, by the way. It's fascinating. Um, have you heard the set of pipes on a New Guinea singing dog? Well, if you haven't, you're not alone. This canine, one of the world's oldest and rarest dog breeds, has been considered extinct for decades. But genetic evidence suggests the dogs may have been hiding or To put it a better way, hiding in plain sight. The ancient dog's genomes may have something to teach us about human vocalization. Uh, The crooning voice often compared to the song of a humpback whale or a professional yodeler. Although they were considered extinct, they weren't completely gone. About 200 remained in captivity. Uh, There are the descendants of a few dogs captured in the 70s. The lineage lived only in zoos, or conservation centers ever since, or so we thought. New genetic study compared the DNA of the captive dogs to the DNA from the rare 
Highland Wild Dog and found they are essentially the same dog. One disappeared from the highlands in Papua New Guinea, and the other survived on the Indonesian side of the island. In other words, the functionally extinct New Guinea singing dog has existed all along. They're rare, exotic. They have this beautiful harmonic vocalization you will not find anywhere else in nature. So losing a species like this ain't a good thing. And uh, we really don't want to see this animal disappear. Now take a look. Let me turn the sound on. You have got to check this out. Here, Here we, we go. go. Strangely enough, I mentioned it, it looks a lot like a Sheba. It really does. But um, Shebas have what's called the Sheba scream. Miko doesn't do it. She's come close once or twice when she's really excited about something. But she does, she's never done the true Sheba scream. It's ear-piercing and very loud. Thankfully, she doesn't do it. But that, I've heard recordings of Sheba screams before, and that sounds very much like it. That's incredible. I wonder if the, I wonder if there's got to be some close DNA thing between these New Guinea singing dogs and uh, the Shebas. Sheba is one of the closest animals, by the way, if not the closest in DNA matches to the original dog, the wolf. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Amazing. And speaking of wolves, here we go. <laughs> If you didn't know already, we read books on this show. We've been doing this from almost the beginning, 308 episodes ago. My goodness, 308 episodes. Can you imagine? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I need a little coffee break. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, uh, all kinds of uh, Peter Captain Hook, uh, we just so many great classic books. We get them from the Gutenberg Project. We read them one chapter or part of a chapter at a time, if it's a long chapter, until we get all the way to the end of the book, and then we start a brand new one. So it's kind of a serialized version here. It's always at the last part of our show. In fact, I'll tell you again, I had some folks say, you know, they're not so big on the commentary. I'm a bit of a conservative. They don't agree with me on a lot of stuff, but they love to listen to me read the books. So if you go ahead about half an hour into the show you'll find the spot when you see that little where is it there it is when you see the uh the book cover come up you'll know we're starting our book so uh you can just listen from there if you want i don't mind it's okay as long as you hit the subscribe button i'm good you listen to whatever part of the show you want to there are other people who listen to the first part and go away when i start reading so that's okay too all right here we go (coughs) wow excuse me again i need a cough button All right. Uh, As you know, Bill was the only survivor 
of the uh, no wait bill was the one who got killed right yeah and uh the other last two dogs and uh while he was protecting himself from these hungry wolves he finally made a mistake and fell asleep and he dreamed it seemed to him that he was in fort mcgurry it was warm comfortable he was playing cribbage with the factor also it seemed to him the fort was besieged by wolves they were howling at the very gates, and sometimes he at the factor paused from the game to listen and laugh at the futile efforts of the wolves to get in. And then, so strange was the dream, there was a crash. The door burst open. He could see the wolves. They were howling at the very gates. The door burst open. He could see the wolves flooding into the big living room of the fort. They were leaping straight for him and the factor. With the bursting open of the door, the noise of their howling had increased tremendously. This howling now bothered him. His dream was merging into something else. He knew not what, but through it all, following him, persisted the howling. And then he awoke to find the howling real. There was a great snarling and yelping. The wolves were rushing him. They were all around him and upon him. The teeth of one had closed upon his arm. Instinctively, he leaped into the fire. And as he leaped, he felt the sharp slash of teeth it tore through the flesh of his leg. Then began a firefight. His stout mittens temporarily protected his hands, and he scooped live coals into the air in all directions until the campfire took on the semblance of a volcano. But it couldn't last long. His face was blistering in the heat. His eyebrows and lashes were all singed off. The heat was becoming unbearable to his feet. With a flaming brand in each hand, he sprang to the edge of the fire. The wolves had been driven back. On every side, wherever the live coals had fallen, the snow was sizzling. and Every little while, a retiring wolf, with a wild leap and a snort and snarl, announced that one such live coal had been stepped on. Flinging his brands at the nearest of his enemies, the man thrust his smoldering mittens into the snow and stamped about to cool his feet. His two dogs were missing, and he knew well that they'd served as a course in the protracted meal which had begun days before with Fatty, the last course of which would likely be himself in the days to follow. You ain't got me yet! he cried, savagely shaking his fist at the hungry beasts, and at the sound of his voice the whole circle was agitated. There was a general snarl, and the she-wolf slid up close to him across the snow and watched him with hungry wistfulness. He set to work to carry out a new idea that had come to him. He extended the fire into a large circle, and inside this circle he crouched, his sleeping outfit under him as a protection against the melting snow. And when he thus disappeared within his shelter of flame, 
the whole pack came curiously to the rim of the fire to see what had become of him. Hitherto they'd been denied access to the fire, and they now settled down in a close-drawn circle, like so many dogs, blinking, yawning, stretching their lean bodies in the unaccustomed warmth. Then the she-wolf sat down, pointed her nose at a star, and began to howl. And one by one the wolves joined her, until the whole pack, on haunches, with their nose pointed skyward, was howling with its hunger cry. Dawn came, and daylight. The fire was burning low, the fuel had run out. There was need to get more. The man attempted to step out of his circle of flame, but the wolves surged to meet him. Burning brands made them spring aside, but they no longer spring back. In vain he strove to drive them back. As he gave up and stumbled inside his circle, a wolf leaped for him, missed, and landed with all four feet in the coals. It cried out in terror, at the same time snarling and scrambled back to its cool its paws in the snow. The man sat down the blankets in a crouching position. His body leaned forward from the hips. His shoulders relaxed, drooping. His head on the knees advertised. He'd given up the struggle. Now and again, he'd raise his head to note the dying down of the fire. The circle of flame and coals was breaking into segments with openings in between and these openings grew in size, and the segments diminished. I guess you can come in and get me any time, he mumbled. Anyway, I'm going to sleep. Well, once he had awakened, and in an opening in the circle directly in front of him, he saw the she-wolf gazing at him. Again he awakened a little later, though it seemed hours to him and a mysterious change had taken place. So mysterious a change that he was shocked, wider awake. Something had happened. He couldn't understand it at first, and then he discovered it. The wolves were gone. Remained only the trampled snow to show how closely they'd pressed him. Sleep was welling up and gripping him again. His head sinking down on his knees when he roused with a sudden start. There were cries of men and churn of sleds, the creaking of harnesses and the eager whimpering of straining dogs. Four sleds pulled in from the riverbed to the camp among the trees, half a dozen men about the man who crouched in the center of the dying fire. They were shaking and prodding him into consciousness. They looked at them like a drunken man and meandered in strange, sleepy speech. Red she-wolf, come in with the dogs at feeding time. First she ate the dog food, then she ate the dog. After that she ate Bill. Where's Lord Alfred? One of the men bellowed in his ear, shaking him roughly. He shook his head slowly. Oh, she didn't eat him. He's roasting in the tree at the last camp. Dead, the man shouted. 
and in a box, Henry answered. He jerked his shoulder petulantly away from the grip of his questioner. Say, you let me alone. I'm just plumb tuckered out. Good night, everybody. His eyes fluttered and went shut. His chin fell forward on his chest. And even as they eased him down on the blankets, his snores were rising up on the frosty air. But there was another sound, far and faint it was, in the remote distance, the cry of the hungry wolf pack as it took the trail of other meat than the man it had just missed. That's part one. We're going to move on on our next show to part two, chapter one, The Battle of the Fangs. <clears throat> cool. All right, we'll have that for you coming up on uh, Saturday night's show, so be sure and join us for that and follow along. It's White Fang by Jack Carlson, first published back in, uh, back in when? 1906. Wow. What a great book. It really is. If you've never read White Fang, check it out. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. I will see you again on Saturday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time, wherever you may be on the planet. We'll be live again on Rumble.com, Twitch.tv, YouTube, and Facebook, I think. I'll see you again Saturday night. This is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Ha, ha, ha.